guide and direct him. Help us to be attentive and help us to learn. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. morning to each one. It's good to see you all here. It is good to be together this morning. might be more fitting this morning to preach on heaven or something like that. And, and yet, I've spent, leading up to this week, I've spent significant time looking at Romans. And so we're going to continue our study in Romans this morning. And I, I asked for your prayers this morning. This, this was a challenge for me. Um, Just, just significant resistance um, as I studied and and uh, worked through this in my own life. And so I, yeah, I ask for your prayers as I, I share this morning. And I pray that it's what God once said. <clears throat> so we're considering, we're continuing our study here in Romans, and specifically this morning, Romans chapter 12 verse 2. Um, we're going to be looking primarily at verse 2. The title of my message this morning is Proving the Will of God. Proving the Will of God. And we're going to, I think I'm going to continue, just continue on in Romans and coming messages, hopefully just study through Romans 12 and maybe to the end. Um, we'll see how, how far this goes. Romans is an interesting book. Uh, and and often, I think too often, a misunderstood book. And I'm finding even in my own life as I study some of this stuff, things that I just misunderstood, I think I misunderstood. So my hope this morning is that as we study, especially this verse here, we get a better understanding of what the, an, an idea of what God's will is for your life. And that's kind of the, the goal here this morning. Hopefully you leave with a better understanding of what God's will is for your life as a Christian. And I, and I know we take the risk of just completely misinterpreting scripture by just grabbing a verse and, and spending time on it, but I'm, I'm going to take that risk this morning and you can correct me if I'm, if I'm off. Um, several things, I'm going to continue to do this as we study through Romans each time, um, give you several things that I'm learning about the Roman church, specifically who Paul was writing to. And so several things that <clears throat> kind of give us context each time, just some things that I'm learning. Um, so <clears throat> excuse me. So as we know, from what I understand, Paul did not plant the church at Rome. And historical writings would, would tell us that this church was started by, by people that would have traveled and would have been at Pentecost and then went back and, and it was, so it was kind of started organically. Um, most likely started from Jews. Um, but if I understand right, at this point when Paul is writing, there would have also been Gentiles in the church. Uh, another really interesting fact that I did not know about the history of Rome there, in AD 49, Claudius, then the emperor, made a decree that all Jews were supposed to leave Rome. And there's debate, uh, historians debate on, on why this was. Um, it's actually a really interesting read. And some of them would actually say it's because of the dissension among the Jews because of Jesus. And so you would have had Jews come back from Pentecost all excited about Jesus and just 
he's the one, you know, and, and it just created this turmoil. That's what some would say. It could have been a lot of other things. But either way, Claudius decrees that all Jews are kicked out of Rome. And this is in AD 49. About five years later, he dies. And then that's when Nero takes, takes power. And around that time, a, number, a lot of Jews would have came back into Rome. And you see Paul writing the letter to the Roman church about two years after this. And so likely, as you read through Romans, if you read through Romans again sometime with perspective, that likely Paul is writing to a church that's trying to come back together, a church of Jews and Gentiles, different cultures, um, likely been separated for a while and, and trying to come back together and wrestling through some of this stuff. And you see the tension. I think you see the tension. If, if you read through Romans, think about it next time as you read through Romans. It's just different things. And Paul clearly addresses some of these things. So much of Romans is, is theological or doctrinal, you could say, and more of like foundational to our core beliefs. And yet what I love so much about Romans 12, and as you go on into the rest of Romans, is it gets very practical. It's very practical to how a Christian should live. And I think it's such an important idea, and Paul understood this, this idea that what we believe, and so he, he addresses some of this leading up to Romans 12, what we believe, what goes on in here, then gets lived out. And that's such an important, it was important to Paul as well, and, as, and we'll, we'll get into the, some of that in Romans 12 here. <clears throat> leading up to Romans 12, Paul talks quite a bit about grace and mercy. Uh, and that, this, this can be easily misunderstood, this idea of grace and mercy. Too often I think we take the idea that this then means because of God's grace and mercy, I'm clear, I'm good to do what I want now. Um, and that is not the understanding that, that Paul takes. And, and you see this at the beginning of chapter 12. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Or you could say, because of the mercies of God, we now can. And he says several things right after that. We can, we can present our bodies as a living sacrifice. We can live not conformed to this world. We can be transformed that, what's at the end there, that we can prove God's will. And we talked last time about, <clears throat> about living as a sacrifice or living it, our lives as an act of worship and what we do being worship. And today we're going to just look at verse 2 primarily. Romans 12 verse 2, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. There are three key phrases I want to look at in this passage. Be not conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and proving the will of God. And so we're going to look at each of these phrases, break them apart a little bit, look at them individually, uh, maybe get a better understanding, and then at the end kind of bring this together in a complete thought. And I'm going to do something this morning that maybe I shouldn't, but I'm going to start at the back. I'm going to start with that, the, the, the phrase, proving the will of God. We're going to talk about that first, and then we'll, we'll address these other phrases. Proving the will of God. Proving, the word proving has the idea, or the, the definition of trying, examining, 
or discerning. And so this morning I'm going to primarily use the idea of discerning the will of God. Um, there's a, uh, another, ch- another verse, 1 John 4, 1, it says, Beloved, try, uh, sorry, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. And that word try is the exact same Greek word. It's that idea of discern. You could put in there discern every spirit. And that's the definition we're going to primarily use this morning. As a Christian, I think we all have this desire to discern God's will. This is something I've, I've wanted for a long time, this idea of knowing what God's will is for my life. And I think we're supposed to know that. I think we're supposed to know that. I think we're intended to know or to understand God's will concerning our Christian life. So he saved you for a purpose. And I think we're supposed to know that. Um, and, and this is maybe a play on words a little bit. And so I want, I want you to understand what I'm saying. I, I think he gives us what he wants from us in our Christian life. Our duty, you could say, that's maybe our, what, he re, what he requires of us, what he desires of us as Christians. And I think he makes that pretty clear in his word. I think we have what we need in God's revealed will already to live according to his will. Um, and, and, and we could have a lot of discussion on this. <clears throat> I think this is sufficient for our faith, the way we live, the way we practice. It has, it has everything we need pertaining or leading to a godly man. And I think in 1 Timothy it talks about furnishing us thoroughly to every good work. Okay, it has, it has what, it, what we need to become a godly Christian. I, th- I think God intends for us to know his will primarily, or first, I should say, through his word. Um, and that's, that's important. Um, follow, follow along here with this. I think it's primarily, or first, through his word. And I think it's really important that we seek God's will in, in his written word. We start here. <clears throat> And yes, as a, as, a, as a mature Christian, or as we mature as Christians, hopefully God's spirit then leads you or calls you with a specific calling. But it starts here. It starts primarily first, I think, in God's word. This is a really crude illustration, and so you can tear it apart, but as I was thinking about this, it, kinda, this is a, it was a good way for me to think through it kind of as a model, think of how how God get, shows us his will. Um, let's think about the game of basketball. And for some of you, this, this will go right over your head. For others, it'll, it'll, look, it'll sound basic. But for someone who's learning basketball, so they're learning the basics of basketball. They're learning to dribble a basketball. They're learning to shoot it, you know, to pass it. Uh, what's the other thing? But defense. They're learning the very fundamentals and basics of basketball. For, for them, in the game of basketball, for a coach or someone to say, do a pick and roll. Or, or you could say, set a screen. You know, simple terms that anyone who has played any kind of basketball 
pretty quickly understands and could, especially with some experience, could perform. And if you have, are talented, do it really well. Um, but for the beginner, for the one learning the basics of basketball, it would completely distract from what they really should be doing. Dribbling the basketball, shooting the basketball, playing defense, and, and passing, or whatever else you want to put in as the basics of basketball. It would distract them from the very foundation of what they're trying to learn. And, and, and this is a very crude illustration, I, I know that, but I think we do well to think as, as Christians, as we're trying to seek his will, let's start with the basics. Let's start with the basics. And in some ways, all of us are still on this level, okay? Let's start with this. This is our foundation. Let's not be too distracted by what does God have specifically for me right now. While, while valuable as we can mature, <clears throat> excuse me, while valuable as we mature in our Christian life, I think it's really important that we don't, we don't become distracted by that, by the things, maybe some of the things that are, are more important. Um, and I think you see Paul addressing that a little bit here in the start of Romans 12. <clears throat> He's saying, he he's gives us three basic things so that you can prove the will of God. He says, he doesn't say, you know, pray and seek God's will. He actually says, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed in your mind that you may prove the will of God. Focus on, on foundations. Focus on, the, on following. Maybe you could even say living what we know is God's will for us now. Let's, let's jump to the beginning of this verse now and, and look at this, this idea of not being conformed to this world. The word conformed is to shape one thing like another, to be patterned after. This word has a really strong idea of outward okay so as we look at some of the other things renewing your mind some of this is very much an inward focus this idea is very much outward and and if you dig into the word a little bit you very much see that it's he is he is addressing how we live so then the question was okay first it's very clear so we're not supposed to be shaped like the world what is the world what is the world we, we all live here we're all part of this world. What is the world? And I think I understand, if I understand it correctly, what he's talking about the world, it would be called the value systems, or you could say the rule of conduct, or maybe, specifically in this context, the culture as we know it that makes up the greater, the greater culture of the world. If I understand it right, and I, I was, I was really challenged by this. Um, if I understand scripture right, the world that we are talking about here in Romans is ruled by Satan. 1 John 5:19, ES, this is from the ESV. We know that we are of the world. Sorry, we know that we are of God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. 
I don't know if I've ever quite thought of the world as being ruled by Satan. The culture, you could say, the rules, the value systems. I think it's really important for us to realize and, and, and remember, and we were talking about that in the instruction class this morning, the two kingdoms. And we, we're part of a different kingdom. Our, our rule of conduct, our rule of living, our very values are just different if, if we are part of another kingdom. In Galatians 1.4, he says, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God our Father. And that's the exact same, that, that, that world is the exact same Greek word. He delivered us from this world. If God says this world is evil, then why, why do you, why do I even have this desire to be shaped like them? Why is this something Paul even had to address? Why couldn't he just say, be transformed? Just, just be changed. And I, I think he put it in here for a reason. There, there's this definite warning for us. Even for me as a Christian, I, I find myself continually, um, there's a lot of good books, podcasts, whatever, information today, and, and I really enjoy reading and that kind of thing. And, and I can quickly find myself shaped by, by worldly values, by ideas that, that maybe even contradict what the Bible says. And so Paul is very clearly saying, don't, don't. Be conformed to those values. Don't be conformed to that. And, and I want to be clear here. <clears throat> so yes, I think, I think how we dress matters. Don't hear me saying it doesn't, but it's not what he's getting at here. Um, let's not be distracted by that idea. So when we're talking about not being conformed, I think our, our, it's easy for us to think how I dress. And that's, I don't think, I'm, if I understand this right, he's talking about being conformed in dress. Um, I don't know if the Roman church struggled with that at this point. I think he's talking about how we live. How we live. And, and I think too often we hide behind our maybe non-conformed dress. He, hear, hear me out. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying we're wrong completely. Um, but we hide behind that, and yet we're conformed in a lot of other ways. And so as we think about this thing of not being conformed, let's think about how we live, how we live. How do we do relationships? Are we conformed to the way the world thinks we should do relationships? How do we do business? Where do we go or don't go? Do we base that off of what what culture tells us is acceptable or not acceptable. What do you associate with? What do you celebrate? Where, where does your money go? Where do you, what do you truly value? How do you respond to things like authority, suffering, things like that? Is that dictated by by what the world or the culture around us says how, how we should do it? Or, or do, we, do we really, really take seriously what, what is given us already and teaching and 
practical teaching on, on how to think about these things. How do you decide what you do or don't do? How do you decide that stuff? How do you, de- how, how do you decide how you live? Is it based on, and this is really easy, this is something we're going to all struggle with because as humans, you, you, we quickly conform or we shape ourselves to people around us. It's just, it's natural. It's natural to, you see that in all areas of life, in business, wherever you're at, you, you tend to shape yourself to the way people around you do things. And so do you base these decisions off of just what the people around you influence or, or do you go back you go back and and really dig do you really care what God gives us what he's what he's taught us what he's shown us as Christians and this is just a really really important thing and, and I struggle with this I've struggled with this I still do but we should I really think we should have a clear if I'm understanding this right we should have a clear separation feel a clear separation from the world around us. And I'm not saying to be different just for the sake of being different. That's not what I'm getting at. That's, that's besides the point. If, if you're just going to do something that's the opposite of what culture around you says, that's, that is valueless. I think, I think it really comes back to this view of are we part of another kingdom and if we are are we following the rules and the guidelines the values the way we think about things are we following God's kingdom there's a going back to Galatians 1 4 where it says who gave himself for our sins that that he might deliver us from this present evil world and so you think of a captive someone who's captive and that, that's, that was our case. As Christians, we were captive. God gave us for it. What captive goes back to the, their captor and wants to be like them? What captive does that? And that's exactly, but that's what we do, though, when we, we're, fr- we're freed, we're set free, not because of things we've done, because of what God's done for us. We're set free from the world. He says he delivers us from this world, and yet, why do we want to go back to it? We want to go back to our captor. Uh, James has a really challenging verse James 4 4 ye adulterers and adulteresses know ye not that friendship of the world and that's the same Greek word friendship of the world the culture you could say the value system is enmity with God whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God We should be very, very concerned, very, very concerned about conforming or, or shaping our lives like Christ. Do you know what, do you know what Christ said? He was here on this earth. He, he, he gave us a lot. Do you know what he said? Are we shaping, are you shaping your life that way? And I truly think that, that if you actually live the way Christ says and the way the word, his word 
gives us, you're going to be a distinct person. You're probably going to struggle really fitting in to culture. And it, it's, it's, a, it's an odd thing, that feeling. All right, let's move on to the, the next phrase. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This word transformed has the idea of being changed or metamorphosized. That's a synonym. Think of a caterpillar going into a cocoon and coming out, what, as a beautiful butterfly. And and if you look at the science behind it, it's actually really incredible what happens to a caterpillar in a cocoon. We just think the outside changes. That's not actually what happens. The inside completely gets rearranged in these caterpillars. It completely gets rearranged so that the outside can look different. And I think it's a tremendous image of what God is wanting from us, to be transformed. The inside has to be completely rearranged. Our very values, our very desires, they have to be formed. They have to be shaped like God so that we can become something beautiful like a butterfly. I mean, hopefully we don't actually look like a butterfly. It's a dynamic interchange. Tremendous change that happens inside. Um, And it powerfully impacts our outward. There's, There's three things with this phrase, be transformed, that it grammatically implies. Um, It's given in the present tense, so it's the idea of it is happening. So we are not talking about salvation here, this thing of being transformed. We're not talking about salvation, if I understand it right. It's something that is happening to a Christian, should be happening all the time. It's a continuing process. Um, It's also given in a passive form. We're supposed to be transformed. And so it's the idea of not me doing the transformation. Okay, very important idea. It is not me doing the transformation. It's me being acted upon, you could say, by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit and God, they do the transforming work in our lives or in my life. Um, 2 Corinthians 3.18 is a really interesting verse. But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And I'm taking this verse very out of context, but the idea is there. We behold his glory, and it changes us. Tremendous. How often do you spend time in the glory of the Lord? How often? How much time do you spend there under his presence? This verb also, being transformed, also is given in an imperative, or you could say a request or a command. And so it also implies, yes, it's given passively, but it also implies that it's not completely passive. There is our part to play. And it's not in the changing. We aren't called to do the changing, but it is us choosing to put ourselves in that presence. And that's our role. That is our role in this being transformed. Put ourselves, choosing to put ourselves under the transforming presence of, the, of, of God, of his spirit. It's also pretty clear that this transformation comes from 
It says, by the renewing of your mind. So it comes from this renewing of our mind. And I think, I think before we, I want to talk a little bit about this renewing of our mind. Before I, we go there, I think there's always evidence shown of a renewed mind. And I think that's something we should, I think that's a pretty important point. <clears throat> How do we renew our minds? And I want to make note here, when, we're talk, when I'm talking about mind, I th I'm talking about, yes, your brain, but I think we can also include your will, emotions, and I might be off by taking it this far, but I think your heart as well, and when we're talking about the renewing of our mind. I think one of the best ways, personally, to renew your mind it is God's word. And Ephesians 5.26 implies that with the washing of water by the word, there's a tremendous cleansing effect. There's a, there's a story of a missionary, and I, I was told this recently, this story recently. Um, there's a missionary that was ministering in a tribal village. And, and there were some people coming to the Lord, giving their hearts to God, and, and there was you know, tremendous revival. And one morning, one of the native men came to the missionary and he said, he said, you know, I'm struggling. You've translated the word, the Bible, into our language, and now I can read it. I can read it. He said, but you know, I, I, I read the scriptures, and then I go about my day, or I go to work or whatever. And he said, I forget it all. He said, I just forget it. And, and as the missionary was thinking about this, he's, he sees a reed basket there, and he, and he says, Take that basket, go down to the river for me, fill it up with water and bring it back to me. So this man does that, <clears throat> fills it up with water and he comes back to the missionary. And it's, it's empty till he gets back. It has all trickled out. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm kind of implying that our minds are a little bit like that reed basket. Maybe yours isn't, but mine definitely is. And the missionary says, why don't you do it again? And so he, he does it again. He goes back to the river and he fills this water, this basket up with water and he brings it back. This time a little faster, he's kind of running because he wants to get some water back and it was empty again. And I think he does it several times until the end he's running back with this basket intent on getting water back to the missionary. And, and it, it's not gonna work. And, and then the missionary just asks him, he said, so, does the basket look any different? And he looks at his basket for the first time, and he says, yes, it's cleaner. It looks like it's been washed. I think that's just an image of what happens when we, as we read God's word, as we spend time in his presence. It's not the idea that it has to all stay in here. It's not the knowledge that, that changes us but the very, the very cleansing effect of God's word. It's the process, you could say. There's also, uh, also something that I really struggled with in studying this, but it's kind of a hard question as to which comes first. Does obedience to God come first, or does God changing our minds come first? And, and you can go round and round on this one, and we're not gonna go down, too much down that bunny trail, but I, I think after really Thinking about this one, <clears throat> there's an element of God renewing our minds that comes from acts of obedience. 
and just submitting and saying, I'm going to do this, and God choosing to renew our minds. And, and it's kind of a principle in Christianity, I think, that you see. Uh, in Romans 1, he talks about giving them over to reprobate minds, that passage. And he's, these people were continually, I think they were wanting to, it talks about not even keep God in their thoughts. They were trying to push him out. And con- progressively evil actions. And I think <clears throat> there is a principle in Christianity that, that well, in, in life, that as we yield our bodies to sin, that our minds are then affected and become more sinful, you could say, or become more like the sin that you commit. And the reverse is also opposite, that as you yield your bodies or obedience to God, your mind is also transformed and becomes more godly or like God. Um, and I think it's an important concept to understand. Secular science would, would actually say the same thing, not in God versus sin, but they would, they would say very strongly that your actions affect how you think. Your actions affect how you think. It's interesting. I personally think it is possible to, to have a changed or saved heart, but not a renewed mind. And you can argue with me on this. I, I'm not set on this, but I, as looking at this, and so I think, I think there's part of this responsibility that as a saved Christian, as as justified or saved, God's mercy is part of our life. There's a part of us that then, then needs to, to put ourselves in God's presence, to be transformed. There's a part of us that, that has to, to respond to that. Um, and, and I think it's, it's sad as Christians when we, we don't, we become saved, and yet we're not transformed. And the, James, again, talks about that kind of man. I think that's what we would call a double-minded man, and he's unstable in all his ways. He's just unstable. I, I, think, I think there's a lot of Christians today, and, I, and maybe even some, some among us, that have experienced God's salvation and yet have not put themselves under his transforming power, under his authority of his spirit. They have not put themselves into God's revealed will, into his word. I think I would call that double-minded. They're, they're trying to be saved, or they're, they're saved, they're trying to be part of his kingdom, but yet their, their minds, their wills, are conformed to the world. And so often, you see this kind of person wander away from church, and eventually away from God. I see I'm running out of time. Let's, let's just briefly tie all some of this, uh, these ideas together. I, I see Paul saying in verse 2 here, I see him saying, and this is in my own words, be transformed in your minds. Be transformed so that you can prove or that you can discern God's will. Too often I think we want to discern God's will. We kind of get it the other way around. We want to know God's will and then we decide, you know, based off of, Whatever. Paul is saying, maybe be more concerned about being transformed. And it seems that two things that very clearly hinder the transforming of our minds 
is a life that's not sacrificed, like it says in verse 1, and a life that's conformed to this world. I think it's hardly possible to be really transformed when those two things are not happening. We're not sacrificed to God's will, and we're conformed to the world. I'm going to end here with <clears throat> with a uh, quote here from, this is actually from Wayne Schrock. And I'll read it, maybe I'll read it twice just so that we really catch this. The renewed mind will put you in tune with the will of God. It will sensitize you to what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's something we all want. I think I, 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 think I can honestly say we all want to know God's will. It will cause you to say amen to his ways. It will transform your life and transform your will. And consequently, will cause you to be in conflict with the cultural norms of this present world. Let me just read that again. And, and the first part we all really want, and the second part I think is just a fact of being a part of a different kingdom. The renewed mind will put you in tune with the will of God. It will sensitize you to what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It will cause you to say amen to his ways. It will transform your life and transform your will. And consequently, will cause you to be in conflict with the cultural norms of this present world. Let's stand for prayer.